When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's the Hey Mary Kay edition where our Football Insider subscribers ask their questions about the Browns offense. Uh, the Deshaun Watson situation. Is Baker Mayfield going to be at minicamp next week? We get into everything and Mary Kay also shares some Romeo Cronell stories too in the second half of the pod. Now if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, get subscribed to get that newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. Get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns and become one of our tech subscribers, which is where we got our questions from for today's pod all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page get info and get signed up okay here we go our tuesday hey mary Kay edition of the orange brown talk podcast And here we go on our Tuesday Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, Mary Kay, obviously we've been recording these things at different locations for the last couple of years here. Uh, and today, you and I are both sitting outside. Now, I'm just in my backyard uh, because my basement, where I usually record, has been overrun by teenagers with school being out. You, however, uh, if, if you if you don't watch these videos, go to our YouTube channel. It's Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com. Go to the YouTube channel. We post videos off all these pods. Uh, and this one, Mary Kay, you've got a golf course behind you. You are of yes, course, at the uh, the location of the Browns golf outing still. Yes, I'm still here. I'm up on the terrace at Westwood Country Club. And there are golfers behind me. They're finishing up uh, this wonderful annual golf tournament for charity. It benefits uh, trying to keep kids in school. So lots of players were here and coaches and uh, Kevin Stefanski spoke, so it's a it's a beautiful outing, and I'm taking advantage of the great weather and just getting my work done here. So there you go. If you hear some birds chirping and some wind blowing, it's just uh, it's natural sound. I think they call it nat sound in like the movie or <laughs> TV industry. I don't know. All right, let's get to it. Uh, our Football Insider subscribers from wherever they are listening to this pod and to getting our texts uh, sent us in some questions. We'll start with Tom Bays in Char- in Charlotte, North Carolina says, hey, Mary Kay, there has been a lot of conversation about the passing game and how Deshaun Watson will use tight ends, wide receivers, and running backs in the offense. Uh, Now, he asks specifically about Watson with the Texans and what percentage of passes passes went to those players. But uh, just, Mary Kay, when you think about how this offense will look different, we do know he used his tight ends and they used a lot of 12 personnel in Houston. But based on what we've seen in OTAs and, and whatnot, how different does this offense look right now? Well, I think it will be significantly different. They are looking at these OTAs as a passing camp. And why are they doing that? Because they're overhauling their passing game. And we know that they went out and they got a quarterback who has one of the best arms in all of football uh, and is one of the best quarterbacks in all of football. And they are gearing their passing game uh, you know, all around him. And, uh, and so they will do some different things. Last year, they were trying to make up in some cases, in some ways, uh, for the deficiencies of Baker Mayfield when he was injured. And, and this year, they're just going to open it up. It's not going to be as much of the, the heavy offense that we've seen before, the jumbo 
type of offense that we've seen. You're going to see it's going to be lighter. It's going to be leaner. It's going to be faster. It's going to include uh, some three wides. Uh, when, when there are not three wides out on the field, you're still going to have uh, a number of, of tight ends and pass catchers. So even if it's not three wide receivers per se, uh, you're going to have a lot of pass catchers out there uh, you know, running routes and helping Deshaun do all the things that he can do. So I think it will be just way more high flying, way more explosive, and one that can keep pace with uh, the offenses in the NFL today. So I have the 2020 Texans pulled up here on pro football reference and Brandon cooks was the most targeted player 119 times. Then it was Will Fuller 75. And then you start to get into Jordan Aikens, uh, a tight end uh, was third in targets, Randall Cobb, fourth, David Johnson, uh, fifth, Duke Johnson uh, was seventh Darren Fells. So he targets, he's going to target you if you're open. He's that type of quarterback. And one of the things that I just kind of keep thinking about is the biggest difference in this offense is going to be, it's going to operate from the pocket. Like he's going to be able to win and complete passes from the pocket. Now, obviously he's very mobile. He can make plays with his legs, but he can also stand in the pocket. He's six foot two, maybe closer to six foot three. You can see it on the practice field. He's going to be able to stand in the pocket and deliver the football. And I think that's, really one of the ways this offense is going to look different. Yes. And, you know, Alex Van Pelt even talked about that at OTAs last week when he said, you know, we really are working on our drop back passing game. Uh, and, and it was something that they kind of had to struggle with a little bit uh, in previous years with Baker Mayfield. His strength obviously was uh, the bootleg play action game. And Deshaun can of course do all those things. Uh, but Baker Mayfield, uh, when they took that away to a great extent last year, which we wondered, how, you know, what defenses were going to do to him, uh, when they largely eliminated that from his game, his strength, he really struggled. And that's not going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is going to be able to, uh, to do whatever it takes. He's going to be able to pull it in and run when he needs to. He can roll out if, he, if, if the situation calls for it, but he can stand there in the pocket and deliver the football. So, uh, they will have as many options as they possibly can. Yeah, and, and I just think it's going to be really interesting to see how he uses his weapons and, and how he gels with these weapons. And I, I feel like I feel like we've talked about Amari Cooper a lot, but we haven't talked about Amari Cooper a lot. It's just sort of like I haven't come away from OTAs. Like, just, I, I don't know, it hasn't been a topic. And I think that's just because he's Amari Cooper. Like, you know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to be capable of. I mean, I saw him make a nice catch and run uh, last Wednesday when we were out there and, and stretched the ball over the pylon for a touchdown. So, I mean, you know, that's really the connection I think people should get excited about. Absolutely, 100%. They're focusing on it a lot. And as you mentioned, it hasn't been uh, something that we have talked about all that much yet, but it is looking really good, the combination between those two. But Deshaun has been spending the ball, his time throwing the ball to so many different receivers that, um, you know, that you're, you're seeing guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones and David Bell and Anthony Schwartz and everybody else get their opportunities too. David Njoku now, Harrison Bryant. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it just hasn't all been Deshaun to Amari, but we're going to be seeing plenty of that once the season begins. Okay, let's move on to uh, some other questions. This is another Deshaun-related question, and, and this one uh, strays into the off-the-field matter, of course, as we're recording this on Monday, a 24th suit uh, was filed. This comes from Gary in Bowling Green, Kentucky, 
Uh, and this is more about the Browns and, and kind of their role and some of the attention they're getting. So he says, hey, Mary Kay, why does the national media blame the Browns for creating a mess by trading for signing Watson when there were reportedly 12 teams willing to trade for him, too? Um, and, you know, I, I think so part of me, I guess, is, you know, the Browns did decide to do this. They They did take this on. Nobody should feel bad for them at the same time there were other teams interested in Deshaun Watson. So this wasn't just a Browns thing. So what do you think of Gary's question? Well, it's a great question. And there were plenty of teams interested. And, you know, I mean, even if you add in the Dolphins last year, I mean, they were ready to make the deal, but they had certain restrictions on it, including uh, the fact that they wanted him to settle all the civil suits and, uh, and, and all those kinds of things. But uh, there have been plenty of teams that were willing to make this, very trade and even even teams that i've seen that would have if they had gone back to them after the browns after they got the browns offer that they would have maybe matched or exceeded that offer so this was not something that you know the browns were the only team willing to do by any stretch of the imagination but i think that the browns are an easy target for a ton of criticism because they've been so dysfunctional for so long uh and you know they pretty much stopped being dysfunctional when Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski took over, but this sort of, you know, brings them back into the world of controversy that we all thought was over. Right. I mean, we thought when these guys took over, it was going to be, okay, Browns are going to be in the headlines nationally for getting to the Super Bowl or all those kinds of good things that can happen. Uh, lo and behold, here they are again, making, national news for a very, very controversial situation. So I think they're an easy target. Uh, and that would be, you know, the number one thing in my mind about that. And then the other thing is that the plaintiff's attorney has kept, has kept this in the news. He, he is, he's keeping uh, his, the pedal to the metal and he's not letting up. And that is why it keeps generating headlines. So you have the HBO interviews, which just, you know, that was more news. And then from there came the 23rd lawsuit uh, because that plaintiff was inspired uh, by things that were said in and around that. And then the 24th person decided to join in and that was just filed today. So I think that has a lot to do with it, that, that it's not something where there was the difficult initial press conference and then everyone moved on to football. It hasn't been like that at all. And it's not going to be like that for a long time. I don't know when it will be like that, but I kind of don't think it will be football until all 24 suits are behind Deshaun Watson and his suspension, which we think it's going to be a suspension, is behind him. So this could go on for another couple of years. And, you know, I, I think any of the teams that would have acquired him would have gotten this sort of heat and, and would have been the center of attention. I mean, the, the Saints, the Falcons. Uh, you know, wh whoever it would have been, they they would have gotten this kind of attention. And the reality is, I mean, the Browns had to know. I mean, they knew what they were getting into. That's kind of what I keep coming back to. So, uh, you know, people can can kind of say, well, why are the Browns getting all this heat? Well, because they're the team that did it. They're the team that actually, you know, yes, there were 12 teams going after him. They were one of those 12. And they're the ones that actually gave up the draft picks and gave up the contract and decided to bring him in. They could have said no. They could have said they didn't want to do it. So, I mean, they did bring whatever happens. They, they kind of, they made that decision. They brought it upon themselves. And I'm sure they did it knowing 
There's going to be more lawsuits. There's going to be a suspension. We know what we're getting into, and we're, we're just going to deal with that PR hit. And in, in some ways, they've sort of just decided, like, you know, Deshaun was at the golf outing today. I'm sure sometime in the next, if it's not this week, I'm sure at minicamp we'll hear from Deshaun. Like, at some point, they're just going to kind of keep moving forward and making it feel normal and making it feel about football, or at least try to. Yes, absolutely. And um, a couple things. I think that, um, like you mentioned, that any team that acquired Deshaun was going to be dealing with this and putting up with this. But I also think that there is something about the Cleveland Browns. It's a, and Cleveland is a big, small market. It's a, it's a large, smaller market. It moves the needle nationally. If he had ended up in like Carolina, I still think that you would have a lot of national headlines and a lot of national interest and a lot of the same things would be going on, but maybe not to the same degree. I feel like the Cleveland Browns move the needle nationally, almost on the same level as like the Cowboys or the New York teams, uh, you know, or, you know, any other like super big name team like that there. It's, it's just, it's, it's uncanny. But I, I do think it, it's true. And then, you know, once again, I just think that um, the lawyer for the plaintiffs is seizing the opportunity and maximizing any chance he can uh, to, you know, say, OK, well, it's the start of OTAs, So now would be a good time for, you know, the HBO interview or, you know, I mean, he's he's utilizing uh, these situations as best he can uh, to help his clients. And, and then you've got Deshaun's lawyer coming out and saying some things last week that um, that added some fuel to the fire as well. So I don't think the Browns thought it was going to be quite like this. I think it's a little bit more uh, controversial than they initially anticipated. I think everyone thought it was going to be a really bad initial press conference and then some kind of a suspension and then you move on to football, but it's not going to, it's not going to be like that. Uh, this is going to be the story uh, that keeps rolling along and gathering steam until the suspension is behind him. And until the 24 lawsuits are either uh, have either gone through trial or are, are settled. And it's just, it's just not going to end for quite a while. Yeah. And I, and I think too, just the whole, I mean, when you say like kind of a, a big, small market, it's, it's also just like the coverage for the Browns in Northeast Ohio is, mm -hmm. I mean, you can go to a random Cavs game and there might be two reporters there. You, you can go to a Guardians game and it's like, you know, people don't cover those teams like they do the Browns. We were at a golf outing today and it, I mean, think about how many people were there, how many cameras were there and Deshaun wasn't talking like, but it was, I mean, it's everything is covered like a big event in Cleveland and the local media market is like just voracious about the Browns. There's, I mean, I mean, we have a ton of people on, on our beat and I know other outlets do too. Well, you know, uh, Dan, you've, you've sat there uh, with me through many press conferences where like a new coach, like Mike Prefer will come into town and he'll look out at all the media and he'll be like, Whoa, <laughs> it wasn't like this where I came from. Right. Because right. yes, this, this team is covered in an enormous way. It's covered like a Philadelphia team or a New York team or a Dallas team. Um, there's just a ton of media. And, and again, like I said, nationally, for, what, for whatever reason, the Browns, um, 
the Browns get hits, clicks, moves the needle, and people want to read about it. I mean, every time you turn on ESPN, they're still talking about Baker Mayfield. I mean, it's for whatever reason, uh, it just draws a lot of attention. And now, you know, they're squarely in the spotlight. Okay, we had a couple questions uh, about this topic, one from uh, Anise in Toledo and another one from Megan in Akron. Uh, so as we move back to the football side of things, Dearness Johnson, of course, uh, signed his contract uh, essentially the same as what he was going to get paid had he, had he signed that tender, but more guaranteed money. So a, a good deal for Dearness for another year. Uh, and the question here is, uh, this is Anise's question. Hey, Mary Kay, what are the Browns' plans for Kareem Hunt after the signing of Dearness Johnson? You know, I still think that Kareem Hunt is firmly in the Cleveland Browns plans for 2022. The, the question is, how about beyond that? He's heading into the final year of his contract, $6.5 million cap hit for this year. They're willing to pay that this year. But as of right now, I've heard nothing about any substantive extension talks. And a lot of times running backs don't get to that third contract, at least not with the same football team. So if he's going to be back, I think it's going to be a situation where, you know, he might end up hitting the free agent market. And then, you know, if he doesn't find maybe a number one workhorse job, maybe they bring him back at, a, you know, a little bit of a, a reduced price. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know that they're going to talk extension until they see how healthy he can stay for this season. He missed most of last year and running backs do start to break down. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. They try to keep these guys fresh uh, and they platoon Nick and Kareem to a degree, but these guys, you know, they do start to break down a little bit. So it almost seems right now this is headed towards him playing out the final year of his contract and then everyone going from there, but he has a chance to prove himself. Yeah. I don't think there, there would be any rush to move on from Kareem. He's, you know, relatively affordable. You have plenty of money. And I always ask myself, like, does Kareem hunt help you win a Super Bowl? And the answer is yes. Like you can see how he helps you win a Super Bowl. And at the same time, Dearness Johnson, what was it? Two, two and a half million dollars, something like that. I mean, that's a lot of money for a third string running back, but again, you can afford it. And also like, he's an asset. He's a guy that has proven it for you when somebody has been hurt or somebody hasn't been able to go. And like, you don't know what Jerome Ford's going to give you. I, I just think it makes sense to, to kind of run this back another year. Um, and then, you know, I guess see what happens from there. Yeah, and the thing about Dearness' contract is uh, the t if he had signed the tender, uh, he would have made uh, the $2.43 million. But uh, because they did it this way, it's up to $2.43 million. So it includes incentives. Uh, if, if he, it's, I don't know what the incentives are yet, but I'm sure it's playing time, games played, yards rushed, and different things. So he might not get to that $2.43 million. Uh, but what he does get is 900 guaranteed. And it also gives the Browns an opportunity to potentially trade him if a team comes calling and is willing to offer them something decent for Dearness Johnson. If somebody has a, a running back go down in training camp or the early part of the season, he's a trade, tradable commodity with that team favorable contract. Okay, let's go back to Deshaun Watson. I think this is an interesting question. I meant to ask it um, when we were still on Watson. So let's go back to this. This comes from Paxton Styles in Cheverly, Maryland. He says it's on the Maryland DC border. So hey, Mary Kay. Assuming Deshaun Watson plays out as much of his contract as he as he is able, 
how much is Kevin Stefanski's future tied to Watson's success? If the Browns aren't showing significant progress in the next three years, would Stefanski be on the hot seat? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, how much of that success for Kevin Stefanski is going to be tied and how much of his future is going to be tied to the success Deshaun Watson has? Well, I think the Browns are really committed to Kevin Stefanski. So I, I'm not going to say that his success is necessarily uh, tied to Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, that way, because I, I think that if for some reason this doesn't work out, they really do believe that they have uh, hit upon the CEO type of coach that they're looking for, the face of this franchise, somebody that can lead others, somebody that can lead and assemble a great coaching staff. So I see him here for a long time. Now, I do think uh, that this Deshaun Watson situation needs to work out, uh, you know, for everybody. I mean, there, you know, there's so much money riding on it and it, it would be hard to overcome this if it doesn't work out. But I don't think it's a Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson thing. I think that they feel really good about this coach and, and that he will endure. I, I mean, I think a coach is always tied to his quarterback in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, I just don't see a world where this team goes seven and 10 or eight and nine over and over again. I think it would have to be that for him mm -hmm. just for it to be like, okay, they got to move on from Kevin Stefanski. There, there's no reason this team with him as their coach can't make it deep, can't make deep playoff runs repeatedly. Um, now there might come a point where they look at it and say, okay, he's gotten us as far as he can or, or something. I mean, we say that all the time. But I think it would have to be a pretty colossal failure for for him to uh, to get canned. I do think he's – I mean, your coach is always tied to your quarterback, especially your offensive yeah. coach, and right. especially when you pay a guy $230 million. But, like, if it doesn't work with Deshaun, kind of everybody's on notice because yeah. the Browns are – as we talked about, the Browns are putting themselves out there for this. And if they go through all of that and it doesn't work, then there's going to be a lot of people feeling the heat in that building. Yes, absolutely. That is 100%. Um, and the other thing that, you know, that they could do if, if by some chance they, they felt that, you know, that they needed a different play caller, but they still feel good about him as the leader of the team, uh, that would be another option that they could, you know, hire a different play caller or a different offensive coordinator and let him truly be that CEO type of coach. So a lot, a lot can still happen. The first thing that they have to do is get uh let's get Deshaun Watson on the field and see how that goes. Okay. Uh this this one is right in your wheelhouse, Mary Kay. This person knew that this question would get asked the minute they sent it in. It comes from uh Toma Barrick in Green, Ohio. Apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name. Uh hey Mary Kay, has Anthony Schwartz made significant made sufficient progress to be a significant asset? What has changed? Well you know, I can't honestly say in the two OTA practices that we've seen so far uh, that he's just knocking it out of the park every rep and we've noticed him and we can't believe how good he looks. Uh, I think it's going to be gradual pro uh, progress as we go through. I think we'll know more when we watch the mini camp, uh, because uh, as I said, we're only out there for, you know, one practice a week right now. We're going back out on Wednesday. Uh, so you're just not seeing, you know, one guy get 10 opportunities to catch the ball on that one day. So I think we'll have a better handle on it after the mini camp. 
but I do think that that he has stepped up and he's making good progress and they do expect a lot out of him this season. Uh, so I, I think that um, that he will contribute this season uh, in a much, much bigger way than he did last year. But it's going to be up to him. He has to he has to make he has to prove that he's really, really serious about football, uh, that he absolutely loves it and do it, do everything that it takes to get really, really good at it in terms of the route running and, and his hands, because we know he has the speed and now he has to add in those other elements of his game. Yeah. And I think the thing is, you know, like you said, we haven't seen, you know, who knows, maybe they're running go routes on Thursdays and we're not there and Anthony Schwartz is lighting it up, but you know, we've seen the ball go his way a few times. Um, he's, he's caught the football. I think he's, you know, it's that little incremental progress. And, you know, there was a moment on Wednesday, I think it was this last time we were out there um, when I think it was on the pick six, actually. Yeah, it was. Sean, even though he wasn't throwing to Anthony Schwartz, he went and talked to Anthony Schwartz and kind of explained something to him. So I don't know if Schwartz was supposed to do something to get open or and maybe the ball would have come his way. But, you know, that's kind of what it's about is, is that growth a little bit. And I think there's a little less pressure on him now because you mm-hmm. have Amari you have Donovan Peoples-Jones, you have David Bell playing the slot. Uh, Anthony Schwartz is kind of one of your second outside receivers. And so I think that's, that's going to give him a little wiggle room to just sort of continue to grow and, and develop. And most importantly, stay healthy. Yes, that, that will be the key. And that was, you know, what basically derailed his season last year uh, was the hamstring and the concussion. So if he can stay healthy, that will help a lot. And then, like you said, we watched Deshaun Watson working with him one-on-one correcting something after that play. And, and I think that's going to help him a lot. I think having Amari Cooper around is going to help him a lot. Um, so, yeah, I think he's got a lot of good mentors, a lot of good teachers and, uh, and just getting the ball from Deshaun Watson is, is going to be key. I don't think Baker Mayfield trusted him at all last year, especially after, uh, you know, he threw to him in that second week and, Anthony Schwartz pressed into service before he should have been because Odell Beckham Jr. wasn't ready yet, stopped on his route, and it resulted in the shoulder injury for Baker Mayfield. And that really kind of derailed his season. So I don't really think he ever really trusted throwing him the ball too much after that. But I think Deshaun will trust him, and they would develop that as the offseason goes along. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll get to a few more questions here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And we are back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. So this one comes from uh, Carloso in Plymouth, Massachusetts. He says, hey, Mary Kay, except for except for 2020, nearly every year over the last five or six years, some segment of sports writers and many Browns fans, him included, predict a rose-colored season only to find the Browns out of their running, often by the midpoint of the season. Why is this season different from other seasons? And apart from injury, what could upend this season and leave the Browns out of the playoffs as we've seen occur in 21 of the 20 last 22 years. And I certainly have been guilty of those rose colored glasses as someone who predicted this team to go to the Super Bowl last year, and they didn't even make the playoffs. I'm actually like usually off. So um, like, I'll probably predict them not to be as good this year. Cause I felt burnt from last year and they'll go like 12 and five and, and get to the AFC championship game. So, uh, but, but I mean, what is different about this year when people hear about the optimism surrounding this football team? Well, both ways it's Deshaun Watson. I mean, that, you know, he will make everybody better, better on offense and defense. Uh, but the X factor is how many games will he be suspended for? And if he misses eight games, 
then I think it puts you behind the eight ball in terms of trying to make the playoffs. Uh, this is a very tough schedule. It's a very tough division. And, uh, and, I, and I don't think it will be easy to get there because I think it's going to be so close all the way to the end. I mean, it could just come down to one game. So, um, so I think that uh, it just all comes down to how many games he's going to play and if he's going to play the bulk of the season. Even if, he, if, if he's suspended for six games, I still think they can make the playoffs. Um, if he's suspended for more than that, I think you start to get into that area of it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because you're going up against Joe Burrow, you're going up against Lamar Jackson and all these other great teams in the AFC, all these other great quarterbacks. So that's what it is. That's the difference in this year, both ways, good and bad. Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's the quarterback right it's been the quarterback the last few years that inconsistency at the quarterback position and you know when baker was really good in the second half of 2020 they made their run and then you know he struggled last year and, and they weren't as good so it kind of comes down to that i do think one of the positives though is i it, it's really hard for me to look at this defense and not think that if nothing else this defense is going to be really good you know they, they figured something out last year and they should be good for the course of the season Yes, I think the defense will be better than it was last year. And they they got really good. I mean, my goodness, every time you looked up, they were giving up only 16 points. Uh, so so they're getting really good. They're becoming a dominant defense. And I think the secondary will be a lot better this year uh, by virtue of the fact that Grant Delpit will be in his second season and Greg Newsom will be in his second season. And then they added Martin Emerson. And I just, you know, I think they have really high hopes for Martin Emerson. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic from a defensive standpoint. And, but the thing that they really have to do, regardless of who's at quarterback on the other side of the ball is they have to get more takeaways. I mean, they just have to do that. Uh, it's the name of the game in the NFL. You've got to really try to win the takeaway battle. And we all know the statistics you're going to win 80% of the time. If you're winning the turnover battle. Now, Deshaun Watson does not throw many interceptions. So if he's your starting quarterback, you don't have to worry about that with him. He's not going to do it. Um, fumbling. I mean, these guys don't fumble much, so you don't have to worry about that. But, um, but on the other side of the ball, uh, they really need to start taking it away. And, and we see a lot of efforts toward that end in practice. Okay. we got a two-parter here. We'll wrap up with this. This comes from Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. The first one. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, how much do you think the work done in these OTAs matters? I actually think it matters a lot. It matters a lot. This is where uh, you really do start to do all of your install. I mean, they, they haven't had this in the last couple of years. You install your schemes and it starts to, you start to develop muscle memory and you start to, to know the terminology. I mean, these guys are learning a new language, very many of them. So I think it's vitally important. And then you start to develop the, the timing and the chemistry and you're repping it over and over and over. And we're seeing uh, Deshaun Watson get a ton of reps. Now I know they have to bank a lot of reps because what if he only gets, you know, up until the end of training camp and then he's gone for six weeks or seven weeks or eight weeks or whatever it is. So they're, they're giving him an absolute ton of reps right now. Um, but you know, that, that's what it takes. That's what you need to do uh, at this time of year. You need, just need to keep, uh, you know, Deshaun to Amari, Deshaun to David and Joker. You need to keep working at it. So I, I think it's vitally important to have these practices. It does seem like when we hear Kevin talk that he's really happy with like that. Not only is he getting to run this program, but like there's 
I mean, there's legitimately 85 of the 90 guys there when, when we've been out there. I think this last practice, there were five guys missing, you know, and only one or two guys that had normally been there in the past. So I, I think he's really genuinely happy that there's like this many guys in attendance. And it, I think it matters that these coaches are coaching guys who are going to make an impact in September and not just guys fighting, you know, for the bottom of the roster. Absolutely. 100%. And I've heard other teams and quarterbacks talk about this time of year. Uh, Andy Reed of the chiefs has talked about how vitally important it is to have this time of year. It's where you start to uh, come together as a team. There's always so much turnover in the off season. It's where your rookies get integrated with the veterans. It's where the new guys in free agency and trades, Amari Cooper and Deshaun Watson get to know their teammates. It's, really important. I've heard Joe Burrow talk about how important it is to get in for the offseason program. So uh, these are teams that have gone to the super recent Super Bowl. So if it's good enough for them, it certainly should be good enough for the Cleveland Browns. Okay. And the other part of Tom's question, uh, this is a little bit of a, uh, a throwback. This is some Mary Kay story time here. Uh, but obviously, look, some more ties between the Browns and Texans here. Uh, Romeo Cronell announcing his retirement uh, today, of course, the former Browns coach for Kevin Stefanski, the only head coach to lead them to the uh, actually, no, he didn't lead them to the playoffs. That was Butch Davis. He went 10 and six and missed the playoffs. So he doesn't even get that. I uh, started down that that rabbit hole there. All right. Favorite Romeo Cornell memory, Mary Kay. Oh, gosh. My favorite Romeo Cornell memory is uh, not necessarily a football memory, but he was always uh so amazing he was a girl dad and he was just always so amazing with his daughters and with his grandchildren and romeo cornell is, is a big tough guy but he turns into a teddy bear when you get him around the daughters and the grandchildren and and you realize just what like a warm-hearted good human being he is when you see him with family like that and i did a whole story on on him being a girl dad and how you have to like, you know, come home and, you know, take off the gruff exterior uh, <laughs> that you dealt with, with these players and, and, you, you know, realize that, you know, if you try to talk like that to, you know, a house full of daughters, they're going to be crying within five minutes. Right. <laughs> so we had a little bit of fun with that. Um, and yeah, so I'll always remember that that was a very fun inter interview to do with him. And he was just a, he was just a, a good man. And I always appreciate somebody that, uh, you know, that is just a uh, good to the core. And I mean, of all the coaches that have been through here that you kind of look back and say, man, I wish I would have worked out for that guy. He's, he's gotta be at the, the top of everybody's list, like nothing against any of the other guys, but just, I've never met anyone that's like, Oh, I didn't like Romeo Cornell. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah. He's somebody that everybody uh, would have loved to have seen succeed and this was just a tough place to succeed in in those years when uh so many things were uh just topsy-turvy dysfunctional tumultuous whatever you want to call it it was it was hard and you know you watch them all come through and try to navigate it and nobody got that many years to try to pull out of a tailspin or whatever the case may be i mean it's not like mike tomlin who you know had the same hall of fame quarterback for 100 years and could uh, continue to have success year after year. These guys were trying to win with marginal quarterbacks. That never works. I mean, that just never works. The Browns know that by now. 
Um, but yeah, he was one that, that everybody would have liked to have seen succeed and everybody in the, in the NFL really respects Romeo Cornell. You know, and that, that kind of goes back to where we started, right? Like the whole Kevin Stefanski, Deshaun Watson thing, like Kevin and, and this front office had to make that decision. Like, did they want to tie themselves to Baker Mayfield long-term or were they willing to take that chance and, and go get a guy who has played at an elite level? I mean, that, that really is what it's about. You get, you got one great year out of Derek Anderson, but it was just, it was just, and you know, Brady Quinn didn't work out and Romeo Cornell was done. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you look at, at Baker and what happened and why the Browns did what they did. It will be interesting moving forward to discover just how much the injury impacted last season. And we're not going to know the answer to that until he goes somewhere else and plays for a good football team again and is either successful or not successful uh, because that's the big X factor. Could he have done more here uh, than he was capable of and was last year uh, largely attributed to the shoulder injury or did he just have enough limitations that they felt that they needed to go make this big, tremendous controversial move? Let me throw one more at you since you mentioned Baker. And I think we do need to address this because obviously this is the last week of OTAs. Next week is mandatory minicamp. They can excuse him if they want. Kevin was asked about that today. He did not answer. Is there any chance that Baker Mayfield is in Berea next week? I'm going to say no. Or in Canton or at First Energy. They're going to they're be all over the place next week. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. They have too much on their plate. I just wrote a column about this. Uh, right before we started taping this podcast, uh, I wrote a column saying they need to excuse him. I haven't gotten anybody to tell me that they are going to do that, but that's what needs to happen. And I think that the 49ers set a nice precedent for it by doing that with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's exactly what needs to happen. And they have the perfect excuse. He's still rehabbing uh, his left shoulder. Uh, It just isn't going to make sense. Can you imagine him walking around touring the uh, pro football (laughs) hall of fame? with the Browns on Wednesday and, and then going down to the stadium. I mean, just, it doesn't make any sense. I don't even think they should have him at training camp. Even if he uh, is still with the team during training camp, I would still find somewhere else that he just go do your own thing and work out some arrangement where he's also excused for training camp. They don't need it too, too much on their plate right now with Deshaun Watson. Let it go. Yeah. I mean, well, I kind of wish they would just move on. And, and honestly, I could understand if Baker's a little frustrated that they just haven't figured out a way make, to make this work. I can sit here and justify like why they haven't yet, at least from a, you know, he's an asset and they want to get value for him, all of that. Yeah, it would be a bridge too far if they said, well, Baker, you're still on the roster. You got to show up next week. That, that's yeah. when I would start. I, I couldn't sit here and justify them doing that. No, I mean, it wouldn't be good for anybody. It wouldn't be good for Deshaun. Right now, I think they have to be very protective of Deshaun's uh, situation, okay? It's, uh, there's, it's just a lot for everybody involved. You don't want to put your whole roster through uh, having their former quarterback for the last four years here. I mean, he threw, to, he threw to David Njoku. He's good friends with Nick Chubb. He's good friends with Wyatt. It's just not fair to anybody to do that, so... Uh, I, I don't know. I just, it's, it's time. I'd go ahead and make the decision now. You know, when we, when we talk to Kevin, maybe on Wednesday for OTAs, have him just go ahead and say, we're excusing Baker Mayfield for next week and then put an end to it. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. All those questions came from our Football Insider subscribers. Cleveland.com slash Browns, uh, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info for that and get signed up. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. We love to see those five-star reviews and we like it when you say nice things about us. So, uh, Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds good.